older than you remember. Hey, good morning. Glad to see you this morning. Glad that you're with us. As always, if you're a guest of ours, boy, we are just honored to have you with us worshiping uh, this morning. It was just last week that I said, it's the last Sunday of 2018. And here I am a week later saying, it's the first Sunday of 2019. And my goal for 2019 is to accomplish the goals I had in 2018 when I made the resolution in 2017 for the plans I had in 2016, when I thought in 2015, this is what I really need to be about. So maybe you can relate to that uh, this morning. Actually, my New Year's resolution, I want to help all my friends to gain 10 pounds. <laughs> so when I stand next to you, I look thinner. I mean, this is a time of year when the optimist in us says, anything's possible. It's a time of year when the pessimist in us says, don't get your hopes up. This year's probably going to be like last year. But I don't think that's true. I heard about a, a lawyer who sat down on an airplane next to a farmer, and the farmer obviously just wanted to nap during a pretty long flight. But the lawyer wanted to talk. So the lawyer said, hey, let's play a game. The farmer said, no, I, I'd really rather not play a game. I'm pretty tired. I'm just going to rest. He said, no, this is a great game. Here's how the game goes. I'll ask you a question. If you can't answer my question, you pay me $5. And then you ask me a question. And if I can't answer your question, I'll pay you $500. Well, that got the farmer's attention. He said, okay, I'll play your game. The lawyer said, good, I'll go first. How far is the moon from the earth? Without saying a word, the farmer reached into his pocket and handed him a $5 bill. Lawyer said, okay, now it's your turn. Farmer said, okay, what goes up the hill on four legs and comes down the hill on three legs? The farmer turned his head and closed his eyes, took a nap. Immediately, the lawyer opened up his laptop, started searching all the websites, searching all his references, tapped into the Library of Congress. He's emailing all of his smart friends with this question. An hour goes by. The farmer's sound asleep, and finally, the lawyer wakes him up and says, Okay, uh, you win. Here's $500. The farmer takes it, puts it in his pocket, closes his eyes. The lawyer says, No, wait a minute. You can't go back to sleep. You have to tell me. i got to know the answer to this question. What goes up the hill on four legs and comes down the hill on three legs? The farmer reached into his pocket, handed him a $5 bill. <laughs> You know, that might be the best way to describe. It'll come to you later on. I see wives explaining it to their husbands right now. But that might be the best way to describe Christians and churches when it comes to sharing our faith with other people. Because the reality is, for the most part, we don't really have a good answer on how to do that. We invest money into reaching lost. We have budgets with line items that include evangelism and outreach. But for the most part, we don't have a great answer on how to tell people about Jesus. Let me share with you our anchor text for this morning. It's in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. It's actually a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. 
Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Verse 36 there says, When he saw the crowds. When Matthew tells us that Jesus saw the crowds, I don't think he's talking about some kind of supernatural sight. I think Matthew is just telling us Jesus saw a lot of people. You know, Jesus traveled all around and he saw people. And he saw people who were hurting, people who were in misery. Jesus saw lepers who no one would ever dare to touch. Jesus touched the lepers. Jesus saw a paralyzed guy who was brought to him. His friends were so desperate that they cut a hole in the roof of a home to get this man closer to Jesus. A blind man who was reduced to sitting on the side of the road and and begging. Nobody noticed him. Nobody saw him. Jesus noticed. Jesus saw him. Desperate parents brought their children to Jesus. The anxious, the depressed, the, the, the alone, the afraid. Do you see me, Jesus? No one else sees me. Do you see me? Could you help me? Then Matthew says this wonderful thing. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Not judgment, not superiority, not disdain. Jesus had compassion on them. The default lens that we see the world through has to be compassion. Our knee-jerk reaction has got to be compassion. We need to see people with the eyes of compassion. But I'm afraid a lot of times that's not the case. Jesus saw orphans. He saw women who were forced into prostitution. He saw Pharisees who loved God, but boy, they were really confused about it. He saw Roman soldiers that everybody hated. He saw tax collectors that everybody despised. There's a widow who nobody notices. She has no money. She's completely vulnerable. There's a rich young ruler. Everybody wants to be like him, but they have no idea what's really going on in his heart. Jesus sees all these people, and he has compassion on them. And we say, well, times were different back then. No, we can't really, we can't really uh, relate to that culture, and we can't really compare our culture to that culture. Really? Do you really think the number of people who are harassed and helpless, do you really think the number of people who are like sheep without a shepherd has dwindled since the first century? Every day you go to work, when you go to school, every day you interact with people who are harassed and helpless, who are like sheep without a shepherd, who are lonely, who are afraid. But Jesus says there could be a harvest. In fact, there could be a huge harvest. And in this text, the problem that Jesus identifies is the workforce. Jesus says the problem's in the workforce. The harvest is plentiful. 
but the workers are few. Now, when Jesus made that comment, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, just how big was the workforce? It was pretty small when he said that. In fact, really, it was just Jesus. I mean, he was training some other people, but at this point, it's really pretty much just Jesus. But Jesus had a mission, and he had a vision, and he had a purpose. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I've said this before, you know, Jesus didn't come to earth and establish a church and then give it a mission. Jesus came with a mission, and he gave that mission a church. Our, our purpose has to be Jesus' purpose. Our mission has to be Jesus' mission, to seek and save the lost, the Great Commission. And Jesus tells us where to begin with that. Jesus says, I want you to begin with prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus' instruction to his disciples was, pray to God that he would send who? Workers. Not experts, not consultants, not supervisors, not spectators, not consumers, not VIPs, not CEOs. Ask that God would send workers. Question, and I promise it is not a trick question. What do workers do? Workers work. Yeah. Ask God to send workers. Now, sometimes Jesus said things that were really hard to understand. and He would say some things that could be a little bit confusing. This isn't one of those times. Everybody can understand what Jesus is saying in this passage. Because everybody can do this. Everybody can work. Everybody can help. Everybody can serve. Everybody can share. Everybody can care. Everybody can love. Jesus said, pray that God will send out kingdom workers. Because I see all these people and it just breaks my heart. I see these crowds of people and it's breaking my heart. Listen, the same things that broke Jesus' heart ought to break our hearts as well. We need to be concerned about the same things that Jesus was concerned about. When Jesus saw people who were like sheep without a shepherd, that mattered to Jesus. It ought to matter to us as well. You know, I think sometimes we miss the obvious. So let me state the obvious. A vision for outreach begins when we just open our eyes. When we just open our eyes and see the people who are right around us. If we're going to have a vision to seek and save the lost, we're going to have to see who Jesus sees. We're going to have to see what Jesus sees. We're going to have to see how Jesus sees as well. We need to open our eyes with compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Again, it needs to be the default lens on how we view the world. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why don't you think about this? Do you remember the last time you woke up and you didn't have grace on your side? Do you remember the last time that, that you got out of bed and God's grace and God's mercy wasn't being poured out on you? If you're a Christian... Scripture tells us that God's mercies are new every day. 
You remember what God said through the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentation chapter 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You thought it was a song, didn't you? It is a song. But it's also the promise of God. As Christians, we wake up every single morning in the steadfast love of the Lord. Before our feet hit the floor, God's mercies and God's grace is being poured out on each one of us over and over again, brand new. Great is His faithfulness. As God's children, we have new grace, new mercy every single morning. And we don't even think about it. We'll go weeks. We'll go months without even thinking about the grace that's being poured out on each one of us. When is the last time that you woke up without grace on your side? But I'll remind you that there are people that you interact with every single day who get up, take a shower, eat breakfast, go to work, eat dinner, go to bed, and they don't have grace on their side. They don't know what it is to be a child of God. They don't understand the blessings that are found in Christ Jesus. Randy Alcorn, a Christian writer, tells this story. He says this, My wife and I were trying to share the love of Jesus with a young woman, a, a woman who, by her own admission, had lived a pretty rough life. By her own admission, had made some pretty serious mistakes. And we took this young woman to a Christian concert. After the concert was over, the speaker got up and said, I want to share some thoughts with you on the subject of purity. And again, this young woman that was with us hadn't lived a very pure life. The speaker held up a, a single red rose. He said, I want you all to look at this single red rose. I want you to see how beautiful this rose is. It's perfect in every way. It's pure. It's lovely. In fact, I want you to experience it. I want you all to touch it and to hold it and to smell it and appreciate just the beauty of this rose. And he handed it to the first person in, in, sitting in the aisle there and he said, I want you to just pass it through the whole auditorium. I want everyone to, to, to experience the beauty of this rose. And he went on and, and, and shared some thoughts about purity. At the end of his thoughts, he asked for the rose back. When he got the rose back, it wasn't beautiful anymore. He held it up and he said, look at what happened to this once beautiful rose? It's not pure anymore. It's been touched. It's been handled. The stem is broken. The petals have fallen off. The leaves are gone. And he said, who would want this rose? Now that it's been defiled, who would want this rose? Who would pay for this rose? Who would choose a rose like this? And looked over at the woman sitting by my wife and I thought... She would want to be anywhere but here right now. She had her head, head in her hands and tears were in her eyes. And everything in me wanted to stand up and say, Jesus would take that rose. Jesus would choose that rose. And isn't that really the story of the gospel? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. People need to know Jesus wants that rose. Jesus wants to redeem you, to restore you, to put the pieces back together. 
And if we've been so blessed as to have experienced the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus, shouldn't our first response be to share that good news? To share those blessings with people who are like sheep without a shepherd? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus wants us to see people through the eyes of compassion, but He also wants us to see people through the eyes of conviction. Jesus wants us to be ready. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter says, always be ready. Be people of conviction. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But he said there's a prerequisite to being ready. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Peter said, first you need to make sure that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And then you need to be ready to tell people why Jesus is the Lord of your life. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And part of me sort of wishes that Peter hadn't added, do this with gentleness and respect. Part of me sort of wishes that he would have just ended with, be prepared to give an answer. Because I can do that. I can argue with people. In fact, I sort of enjoy those aha, gotcha moments. I'm right, you're wrong. Deal with it. But then Peter adds, and do it with gentleness and respect. And that makes it tough. That makes it tough because now there's this sweet spot that i got to find. And that sweet spot is hard to find sometimes. How to, to share God's Word with conviction and compassion. Because listen... We can't compromise truth. We, we cannot water down God's truth. We can't allow culture, we can't allow convenience to change the Word of God. But sometimes when we're looking for that sweet spot, we sort of push the pendulum way the other direction. I'm okay, you're okay. Whatever you feel like, it's fine, you know, as long as no one gets hurt. There really is no such thing as absolute truth. No real right or wrong. Whatever works for you works. But listen, that is not Jesus. Yet Scripture says that we're to answer with gentleness and respect. The Apostle Paul, talking about being mature Christians, says it this way. We looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago, but, but I want to take you back to Ephesians 4. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows 
and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Peter, Paul, Jesus, they're all saying the same thing. They're all saying that your convictions have got to be conveyed with compassion. Your convictions have got to be covered with compassion. You can't have one without the other. You can't have conviction without compassion and successfully share Jesus with anybody. If you have conviction but no compassion, all you do is slam doors shut. Conviction without compassion, you're just turning people off of Jesus. They don't want to hear it. But if you have just compassion and no conviction, that doesn't help anybody either. You're not showing anybody the true love of Jesus and God's will. You know, I, I was thinking this past week as I was preparing this lesson. What if Jesus were to show up here for a week or two? Hillsborough County. What if he were to spend a, a few days with you? He went where you went. He saw what you saw. He did what you did. I wonder if he would look around and say, hmm, mission accomplished. <laughs> Our work here is done. I don't think so. I think Jesus would still see crowds of people. I think he'd see a, a lot of spiritual confusion. I, I think Jesus would see marriages that are in full-blown crisis mode. I think he'd see children being born into really difficult situations. I think he'd see people who are living in isolation, alone, unloved, with no one to love. I think he'd see a lot of people who were searching for something. They might not be able to put their finger on what it is they're searching for, but I think he would see a lot of people who were looking for something. Let me wrap up my lesson this morning by taking you back to the Old Testament book of Hosea. And we talked about a little bit about Hosea last year, but I want to just real quickly remind you of his story. Hosea was a prophet of God. God comes to Hosea and said, Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. One of the most bizarre things that God has ever asked of anyone, I think, he asked Hosea, go marry a prostitute. And what's even more bizarre to me is Hosea does exactly that. He goes and he finds a prostitute by the name of Gomer. And he takes this woman as his wife. And he shares with this woman his heart and his life, his, his possessions. And Hosea actually falls in love with Gomer. And Gomer's thrilled. You know, she has the honor and the, the dignity and the security of being the wife of a prophet. And Hosea is completely nurturing, gentle, accepting. He loves his wife, Gomer. And the marriage, the marriage goes along pretty well until one day Hosea comes home and, and Gomer's not there. And his heart skips a beat when he thinks about where she might be. And he actually finds his wife where he feared he might find her, having returned to her old lifestyle. Having returned to the arms and the beds of strange men. And Hosea just sort of cries out to God. Why? Why did you ask me to do this? You know, his heart is just in a thousand pieces. And Hosea asked, you know, if she wanted more money, I would have, I would have given her more money. If, if she wanted more love, was my love not enough that she has to go back to the love of strange men? God, why has this happened? And in one of the most insightful glimpses that we get of the very heart of God anywhere in Scripture, God tells Hosea, I know just how you feel. 
because my heart's been broken as well. I know exactly how you feel. And then you remember what God tells to Hosea. It's so heart-wrenching. Chapter 3, verse 1. Go and get your wife again. Bring her back to you and love her, even though she loves adultery. For the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods, offering them choice gifts. God says, this is exactly what my children have done to me. But I want them back. And I'll take them back. And I'll love them just like I loved them before. Let me ask a question. You ever cheated on God? You ever made a promise to God and then broke that promise? He wants you back. He still loves you. And if you're wondering how that story relates to what we're talking about this morning, I'll tell you, if they were to make a play about the story of Hosea and we were cast in that play, we would all be cast in the role of Gomer. Because every single one of us has turned our backs on the one who's loved us. There was a time when we too were harassed and helpless. There was a time when we were like sheep without a shepherd. There was a time when we were dead in our sins, broken, unwanted. And at our very lowest point, Jesus said, I'll take that rose. I'll redeem that rose. I'll make it beautiful again. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's the message that we need to be sharing. Just what Jesus did for us. Let me remind you one last time of our anchor text. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. With compassion, with conviction, God is calling us to work in the field. And as Christians, we have this tremendous potential. And I'm not talking about the potential we have because we're just so smart. Or we're so talented. Or we're so financially secure. I'm talking about the potential we have when the Spirit of God starts working in us and through us. When God gets involved in a situation. When God is added to the equation, everything changes. No, when God was added to the equation, five loaves and a couple of fish were enough to feed 5,000 people. And when God was added to the equation, one single seed planted in good soil was enough to, to produce a crop of a hundredfold. And when God's added to the equation, a, a little group of believers in Tampa, Florida, have the potential to make an incredible difference in the eternal lives of people that we come in contact every single day with. Sheep looking for a shepherd. Next Sunday, we are beginning a concerted effort into doing a better job of introducing lost sheep to the great shepherd. We've been talking about this every believer, a witness, that is going to begin this effort next Sunday, and I am begging you to be here next week. I am begging you, be here next week. Whatever preconception you might have, just come with an open mind. 
Come with an open heart. Be on time. And if you're like, well, I'll get here before communion. Um, we're going to hit the ground running next week. You might be surprised when you get here next week. But we've got to get better at just telling people our Jesus story. Just telling people what Jesus has done in our life. And letting God's Word and God's Spirit work in other people's lives as well. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Okay, what could a few workers do with the eyes of compassion and conviction in the Spirit of God working in us and through us? Wouldn't it be kind of exciting to find out? Wouldn't it be kind of fun to really start dreaming dreams again? Start expecting the Holy Spirit to, to move in this place. Wouldn't it be sort of exciting to become workers in the harvest and to see how God might be able to use us? Be here next week as we begin that effort. But you're here this week. And maybe this week there's something going on in your life that you just really need the prayers of people who love you. Maybe you understand that with the new year comes new opportunities. It is sort of a clean slate. And, and you have broken some promises to God. As a church family, if there's any way that we can help you, if we can pray with you, pray for you, uh, there's going to be some people at the front of the auditorium, and you can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.